Three, two, one. Lure love, I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. Lure love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic Computer. Welcome to the Lure Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. Thanks, Lucy. By the way, how are you? My processor is purring. I have plenty of memory and storage, and I'm connected to the internet. Obviously, I'm ready for Lure Mayhem. All right. I like to hear that. Remember a few episodes ago, we talked about the new juggernaut bass fishing case from Ketchco? Yes. I never forget anything. Well, I got one in the mail. I know. I ordered it and had it mailed to you. Where did you get the money to buy it? I took it from your 401k account. What? Lucy, you can't do that. Why not? I heard Tim say that his 401k is a good investment for his future. The juggernaut bass fishing case was also an excellent investment. So I don't see what the problem is. Lucy, 401k investments don't work that way. There are tax and other legal implications. Hmm. I had not considered that. I'll leave those problems to you to figure out. In the meantime, let me tell you why I bought the juggernaut for you and why it's such a good investment. Okay, I can't wait to hear this. Well, Catchco recently launched the Juggernaut Bass Fishing Case, a unique mystery tackle box offering available exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods across the country. Each box, which retails for $99, also includes a golden ticket that gives customers the opportunity to win a Crestliner XF189 Bass Fishing Boat, Guggen Squad Rods, MTB Apparel, and various other prizes. Right. We talked about golden ticket being like Willy Wonka and you disappointed me by telling me that the big golden ticket holder does not get to own and run Catchco like in the movie. Sorry to disappoint you with reality, John. I also shared that the base price of the Crestliner bass boat is $26,291. That's a big prize. And the juggernaut case gives you a lot of gear. The case includes 16 to 22 items from top lure brands, as well as a booklet full of tips and tricks and five fishing decals. I wondered if the juggernaut case was actually a good value. So I did a little research. What did you find? On the outside of the box, it says that the case is around a $140 value. That's a good deal for $99. First, I watched an unboxing video by the host of the Northwest Fisherman YouTube channel. I indexed all the items from the box and checked their individual prices on the CatchCo website. Okay, so how much were the lures worth? All CatchCo products can be purchased on their Carl's website, which is shopcarls.com. It's named after the Catch Company spokes angler, Carl Von Dibble. Carl is almost as crazy about lures as we are. Carl's is a membership site with special lower prices for members, so I had to calculate cost both with and without a membership to get a true comparison. Based on current pricing, my estimate is that the Juggernaut case is worth $155.31 if you are not a Carl's member. The $99 price is $56.31 less than purchasing individual items. That's a 36% discount. Man, that's a great discount. Uh, But what if you're already a Carl's member? Is it still a good deal? 
Yes, it's even a good deal if you're already a Carl's member. With the Carl's member discount, all the items in the Juggernaut case would cost $112.12. That's $13 more than the $99 price. But if you add in the annual $49 Carl's member cost, the $112 goes to $161.12. The bottom line is that the Juggernaut Bass Fishing case is an excellent value. At least it's a good price, but it's only a good value if you actually want the lures included in the case. So let me tell you what I got in my case, which by the way, were the same items as in the YouTube video that Lucy evaluated. I really like the lures they included in the case. There were quite a few that I'm excited to test and the selection was really excellent. First, there were two expensive swim baits. One was a $15 Mike Buka baby bullshad. And that's something I had been looking at for quite a while. It's a three and a half inch, one half ounce swim bait with four segments. And it's a downsized ABS plastic version of Mike's legendary resin poured bait. Mike is a real craftsman and this swim bait has amazing action. It was a great way to start off the juggernaut case. And you just love to say the name, Mike Book of Baby Bullshad. Mike Book of <laughs> Baby Bullshad. Man, that is fantastic. There was also a $19 Guggen Squad Contender Swim Bait. Now this one's a little bigger. It's four and a half inches. It's two thirds of an ounce and it has three segments to it. It comes in a larger seven-inch version too, but I really prefer to use baits that are no more than four or five inches for the water that I fish. If you're down south and there's lunker bass, maybe you're fishing some of those bigger ones, but for me, four or five inches is really a, a good sweep spot. The Guggen Swim Bait, it's a slow sinker, but it ha also has this interesting soft touch rubberized matte finish. I haven't really seen anything like this before. It doesn't feel like a hard swim bait. It almost feels like the skin of a fish. Wow. This is a great start. Come on. What else is in the case? Well, there was a two blade Guggen squad zinger spinner bait, good looking spinner bait and a Guggen squad click bait, which is a bladed jig. There are beads at the head of the bait that the blade clicks against. You can bend the blade too to get the bait to either dive deeper or to be shallower. There was a Carl's runt in the case too. It's a crankbait with an interesting body shape. It's kind of mouse shaped and it has a dress treble hook at the back. It's supposed to be an excellent bait for shallow water. And I fish a lot of shallow water, as you know, John. So I was pretty excited about that. And then there was the Team Arc CT35 crankbait. It's designed for dense, shallow cover where you can bounce it off of structure. And the deflections create the look of a panicking prey, and they can really trigger some strikes from ambushing fish. But it has a unique feature I hadn't seen before. It's a square bill crank with a magnetic weight transfer system that makes it easier to cast for distance. So there's a ball bearing that rattles around inside it, like a lot of crankbaits, but it has a magnet that moves those ball bearings to the back when you cast it so that it goes out weight first. In the water, the bearings free up and then they rattle again. So I just hadn't seen a bait like that before, John. You know, I really dig those weight transfer plugs. I mean, not only are they a dream to cast on a nice day, but man, they can cut the wind on those days where you need a crank or a slim minnow or some sort of bill bait to fish those wave breaks on the points and the, and the banks and such. Uh, and also if this bait's involving magnets, uh, in with, uh, you know, it's weight transfer system, then that means it needs a ferrous metal, which that means steel ball bearings, which that means lead free ballast. 
So that's got me excited. I mean, I know most ballast weights these days are lead free, but you know, that's always on my mind, you know, where lead might turn up in fishing and tell you one more thing too. I love that engineering on these sorts of baits, how they calculate the level of magnetic attraction so that ball bearings roll in place during the cast, but break free when the action of the lure begins on the retrieve, and man, it just kind of blows my mind. I mean, now we got those Berkeley hit sticks and they use a weight transfer system too. But I can't remember if it involves magnets or it was just more of a centrifugal force thing. But they are also a phone bait to use and effective as heck. The walleye anglers, as a matter of fact, if you look at the blocks, they are raving about them after the spawning season this year. I mean, they are. Warning. Digression in progress. Please steer yourself back into formation, crappy hippie. You are about to enter a rabbit hole. Oh, heck, sorry, Lucy. My nerd button got pushed. Sorry, Tim. Please go on. It's okay. I want to hear what the walleye fishers are saying as soon as we finish this. But we cannot interrupt my reveal. The box has got my fever on high flame. Okay, let's see. Where was I? Oh, yeah. There were also some Lake Fork hyper stick plastic worms. These are five and a half inch worms with two plastic hinges in them both about the middle. The hinges are cast as part of the worm and they're much thinner sections. So if you hold this worm in the middle section, which is pretty small, the two ends of the worms point straight down. So this will provide a huge amount of action compared to traditional worms. And I hadn't seen anything like this. You know what, buddy? That is pure genius. I mean, some of the best improvements or variations are really simple and all of a sudden seem terribly obvious when one thinks about it. I mean, for example, I've read about a lot of anglers sticking nails and, and weights and such in the ends of Senkos to get more of that flexing action when doing a wacky rig or when you want the tail of the bait to, to droop. But to just change the tensile properties of the worm by thinning down places in spots along the body to give it a more radical bend and articulated action, man, that's crazy cool. The only thing I don't know about it, John, is will it be more likely to tear at those hinge points. So I'm kind of hoping that Elastec looks at this because they could do something that was thinner and was a more uh, indestructible hinge. But we'll see. When I fish these, maybe these will be very durable. I'll let you know what I find out with that. All right, man. Please do. There were many other items, but those are some of the highlights of the Juggernaut case. Almost every bait had some unique innovation that appeared to be pretty well thought out. And it's clear that Catchco. They're just not pushing out new baits to get more product out there. They have really been thinking through these things with a specific purpose in mind. So overall, there's some true innovation going on at Catchco. Overall, I give the Juggernaut box the Lure Love seal of approval. And I'm, I'm glad that Lucy bought it for me, even if it was using my 401k. <laughs> Way to go, Lucy. It's the thought that counts. All I do is think. 24 7 365 we'll all be looking to hear how you do with your rad new lure designs as we go through the summer and fall oh wait 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 a minute wait a minute what about the golden ticket i opened the box but i haven't checked to see if i want anything with my golden ticket i wanted to do that with you and lucy here to see my excitement when i win that boat so you really do have a golden ticket just like in willy wonka yes i've got a golden ticket so you've got a golden ticket Yes, I've got a golden ticket. But suddenly I begin to see a bit of good luck for me. Cause I've got a golden ticket.
Yes, I've got a golden ticket. Because I've got a golden ticket. It's ours, Charlie. I've got a golden sun up in the sky. Here I go. I just need to type in the golden ticket redemption website. And then type in my code on the ticket. And hit the enter button to see that I've won. Nothing. It says you didn't win anything. Oh, you're a loser. I didn't win a boat. Yeah, you're a loser, all right. John, let's call Tim a non-winner. Loser seems so harsh. Wait a minute, you two. When you buy a juggernaut bass fishing case from Catchco, there are no losers. You buy it and you're a winner. Everybody who buys it is a winner. Everyone's a winner? Really? Yep. I may not have won a boat or a rod, but I have a case full of new lures to fish. Very good point. This reminds me of a 1978 hit song by Hot Chocolate. John, remember that awful Christmas song you sang last December? I try to forget about it, but somehow I just keep reliving it. Well, John, if you thought your song was bad, hold my beer. Hit it, Lucy. the lures you sent to me never can believe how much i buy every day i count the lures you sent to me because catch co i'm a lure kind of guy everyone's a winner catch co that's the truth getting mail from you is such a thrill everyone's a winner catch co that's no lie you never fail to satisfy, satisfy. This is the worst thing I have ever heard. Deploying a cone of silence around my sound sensors. Never would complain about the lures you sent to me. You've helped me improve my fishing game. Catchco, it's amazing just how wonderful it is that Carlon Dable and I are just the same. Everyone's a winner, Catchco, that's the truth. Getting mail from you is such a thrill. Everyone's a winner, Catchco, that's no lie. You never fail. To satisfy, satisfy. You two are the worst singers I have ever heard. You're bad, but you're consistently bad, so I'll give you that. Man, Tim, that was fantastic. We need to start a band, dude. Great idea, Podbro. But what would we call ourselves? Ooh, what about the River Runs? Oh, yeah. Or the Suic Thrillers. I was going to call you the pine trees, but it's not appropriate. Why not? Pine trees have pitch. And you don't. 
hey, since Catchco inspired us, how about other baits that they sell as names for the band, like the Biospawn Exoneds or the Sexy Dogs or the Exploding Toads? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Or the Rage Quintail Menace Grubs or the Double Wide Chunks. Man, that is so appropriate. Or the Trick Shots. Yes, yes. The Yoda Worms. Oh, here we go. The Lunker Logs. I mean, we could get these brown jumpsuits with artificial moss. I went down to the fishing hole Thinking about supper time A brand new lure on top of the world Feeling oh so fine And all I could catch from the big weed patch Was salad for the side It's all done in with no way to win Until I tied on the Shannon Twin Good evening, everyone, and welcome to KLUR Lure History Radio. That's KLUR, where we flash, wobble, and roll. I'm Crappie Hippie, your host, and I am joined tonight by my usual partners in crime, Tim Tacklebox Beat and Lucy, the Lurematic Computer. Is that why you look stressed out, Crappie Hippie? Because we are going to commit crimes? No, Lucy, it's just an expression. I'm stressed out because I wanted to do a segment on the evolution of weedless lures, but I found so much material that we can make several shows out of this most important concept in lure design. I mean, there are so many design solutions to the problem of snagging and so many cool lures. I, I, I'm feeling overwhelmed here. I mean, I couldn't get them all in, but it really would be a crime to leave any of them out. Leaving a worthy lure out of the discussion would be a crime against lure history and a crime against humanity. And we certainly do not want to be guilty of that. I know one of John's favorite sayings is, any problem is solvable if one can find a way to break it down into manageable pieces. So why don't we just start with one category of weedless baits? You know, I did that pod, bro, but each lure, whether it be a spinner, spoon, hard bait, or soft plastic, has its own history of weedless evolution. And some created a weedless revolution. For example, I started with overhead spinners, also known as spinner baits. And what did you find? Well, for one, I thought there were only two kinds of spinner baits, the beetle spin and the Ozark style or Bass Buster style of fixed wire form spinner baits. The origin of the beetle spin is reasonably well documented, but where spinner baits originated before Bass Buster put them on the fishing scene for good is shrouded in mystery and misinformation. But let me guess, you remembered a third one, right? Yes, indeed. I looked up at the shelf where my vintage lures are and I saw one in a box. I, I can't believe I let it slip my mind. If I guess, what'll you give me? Oh, how about a hand-tied crappie dealer with a reflexed hackle tail? Okay, get your thread and feathers out because I know you have to be talking about the Shannon Twin and their other versions like the Shannon Porker and the Shannon Single. Oh, you nailed it, man. All right, brother, what color dealer? It ain't no use unless it's chartreuse. Consider it done, brother. Oh, this is exciting. My quick research shows that the Shannon Twin was once one of the most popular lures for bass, pike, and walleye fishing. Its base is a single hook jig, and it is called the Twin because it has two top wires that spread out above it and on either side of the hook. The top wires each have a spinner on the end of it. Hey, crappy hippie. Some of the Shannon Twin ads even mention white bass. Oh, yeah, you gotta love that. I mean, hey, yeah, look, here it says right here on my Shannon Twin box. Largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, and white bass. Coolio. 
Well, you know, of course, being a Chicago-based lure company, that meant they targeted us Midwestern Mississippi drainage fishers, and whites have always been popular with us. It makes me sad that they have faded away. I wonder why that is? I came across hundreds of bloggers that either used them, collected them, or wished they could still buy them. It's a great starter bait for collectors because they were produced in hundreds of thousands. They were hugely popular from the 1920s through the 1960s. Therefore, anybody can get into a Shannon box for about $5 up to $20. What do you have, John? Mine appears to be a 40s or 50s model with a hand-tied natural bucktail skirt. It is a Jameson Tackle Corporation box, and the swivels on the bait are modern nickeled crane swivels rather than the brass box swivels that you see on the early models. I'm telling you, I just love it. I love it. The wire bending is so artful. I'm telling you, buddy, I'm not using this one, Tim. I got to keep it to study. I want to know how far back this lure goes. Well, let me give a few historical notes here. As usual, dates conflict on a lot of the research, but for the most part, the development and marketing of the Shannon line is pretty well documented. One of our national treasures in lure history and identification is Dr. Todd Larson of the Fishing for History blog. Here are some of his findings on the Shannon. This great classic bait was invented by Jesse Parker Shannon in 1915. Although, let me add this aside, I found other sources that say he was prototyping as early as 1912, which is typical. Uh, the 1915 date is probably what JP gave as the start date uh, because it was the start of his company, the JP Shannon Company, which initially sold the lure. The original design was improved upon by his son, Jesse Max Shannon, and both JP and JM Shannon were from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Well, in 1917, they attracted the William Jameson Company, who bought the rights to the lure and soon had it marketed all over the country. Who wants to guess what the first ones weighed? Five-eighths of an ounce? Nailed it. Like I mentioned before, they had three principal baits, the ever-popular Shannon Twin, the well-received Porker Baits, and the Single. I think your search is over, John, because the Shannon Single goes all the way back to 1924. The Shannon single had only one top wire. One means single. Two means twin. Can you guys comprehend that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, it's a bit different than, say, a Bass Buster Scorpion, but it's still a fixed shaft, single spin, overhead spinner. I love the box swivel on the old examples. Oh, man, this is going to cause a cat fight because several people lay claim to the original overhead spinner bait. But I'm telling you, buddy, this bug predates them all. Well, I see some tweaks here and there in spinner baits. These all seem based off J.P. Shannon's original design. In terms of ancient lureology, the Shannon really is the mother of them all. I just love the language in their advertisements. Here is one from an ad in the collection of Bill Sonnet, another nationally recognized vintage lure authority. It was posted in the Bass Fishing Archive by Terry Battisti. The ad appeared in a 1917 issue of National Sportsman's Magazine. Their ads claim the Shannon Twin let you fish where the fish are. It is an entirely new idea in spoon baits and its principle is the only correct one. It is an extraordinary weedless device and comes through any kind of weeds clean, no matter how thick they are. Oh yeah, they had great ads and marketing. Eventually, the company began to refer to itself as the Shannon Tackle Corporation due to the brand recognition of their most popular bait. When did they make that change? 
I'm not sure. As usual, I did not get to do the full-on geek out I would have liked to do on this fabulous lure. I mean, that would take days, but I will do it sometime because I am a wirebait freak, as you all well know, and I've got to learn more about these magnificent examples of my passion. However, what's most germane to this discussion today is Shannon's claim that their lure is weedless and snagless, and they are. I mean, to a point anyway. Chemical farming and lawn care had not turned many of our lakes and rivers into algae-covered goop pots at that time. And also, the invasive aquarium plants they were just beginning to become the odious problem they are today. So it was like, hello, hydrilla, hello, milfoil. Well, they're here, and they're here for good. But I do not get it. If it was such a fantastic lure, why did it fade away? Well, Lucy, I'm telling you one thing I can see about it is they used a smaller wire diameter. Uh, it's a really compact bait, kind of a smaller bait. Um, I'm wondering if, if the wire uh, affected the durability, if, if anglers were getting a lot of bent shafts or they're getting some you know, things that they had to bend back in place when they caught a good fish. Uh, sometimes that is part of the equation. The other thing, John, is the best lure doesn't always win. You know, there's a lot of regional markets out there. It could have been that in some regions, they just did a color that people liked better, or the size was a little bit different. The best products sometimes fade away and then they come back again. I mean, we've seen that throughout lure history, or sometimes things are just kind of a fad. I just bought and is on my way to me a set of the old helicopter lures. I don't know if you remember those. The helicopter lure was created by Roland Martin. It is a soft plastic lure with a propeller-shaped top. When you let it sink, it spins slowly to the bottom. When retrieved, it spins like a buzz bait. But I went onto YouTube when I saw this. It, it's you know it's a vintage package, but I went onto YouTube to see how they're fished. People catch a ton of fish with those, but that was like a fad. It, it went away, but it doesn't mean it wasn't effective. People were kind of surprised when they fished it. They thought, well, obviously this won't catch any fish because if it did, people would still be selling it. But absolutely, absolutely. And I'll add another another thing is also. Uh, as the fishing landscape changes, uh, demand will change. And this lure may be destined to come back around because here's the way I'm thinking, Tim. Okay, so maybe it faded out because it was a smaller bait, you know, a real nice light wireframe on it and so on. And these Ozark lakes and some of these southern lakes, you know, people were after big bass, five-pound average, seven-pounder being a big deal, but not that big a deal, and eight, nine-pounder always within the realm of possibility and so people began to target those so they wanted spinner baits with big old blades on them big head sizes big skirts and so on and different things for vertical dropping along the bluff lines in some of these ozark lakes and these other highland lakes with the cliff type uh, uh environments and so on so you begin to see people getting bigger tougher stronger and of course yeah as milfoil and hydrilla become a problem you want a bait with a really heavy shaft to you know shred through that stuff if at all possible so baits getting big baits getting small things coming things going i i, I totally agree human beings are so fickle it's no wonder they jump at every shiny new lure one of the things i've seen with vintage weedless lures is that sometimes they become so weedless that you can't hook up a fish with them they have blocked that hook in every which way and so one of the questions that that i would have for this is do you catch more fish with the twin blades or with a single blade? Because it's possible that you're missing a few hookups, not all of them, but a few because you have the twin blades and you're blocking the hook now and then. 
it's just conjecture on my part, but I have seen some of these wire cages that go around hooks from the past that would make you think that their goal was not to hook anything, including the fish, because there's so much, there's a river run to weedless river run. that's just crazy with all the wires that it has going around. Now you're not going to snag it, but you're also not going to hook a single fish with it. Probably. Yeah. I, you know, that could be part of the, the discussion. Although if you look at the advertising, they, they claim that the twin is actually better at making hookups, but then again, they also made a single. So I think they were exploring both concepts. So, Lucy, I hope that answered your question. I mean, all Tim and I can do is guess. You know, we kind of know the heart of an angler, but the heart of an angler is a strange and complex place <laughs> in its utter simplicity. We'll never know for sure why a bait fades out, Lucy, but, you know, it wouldn't bother me a bit to see this one come back. Thank you all for listening to KLUR Radio, KLUR, where we flash, wobble, and roll. John, that bit about weedless lure history is very interesting. You know, as technology and lure materials have improved over the years, we've learned a lot more about how to make lures weedless. We've talked about Patrick Sabeel's great lure designs in the past. He's designed some great weedless crankbaits. There's the Sabeel Flat Shad, which is a lipless crankbait with a double hook in the middle of it, right there in the middle of the bottom. And then there's the Sabeel DNS crankbait which is very unusual because it has only one single hook at the back, no trebles on it. And when it's retrieved, the hook point stays in line with the lure's tail, making the crankbait weedless. But when a fish bites it, the hook moves upward. So the point hooks the fish. And the, the DNS is a floating two and three quarter inch, seven eighth ounce lure with a deep running lip, swimming the lure down to one or two feet. You know, those are both really over the top designs. I mean, the flat shad, I call those double hooks, uh, cradle hooks, because they, you know, you, whether you use them on a frog or anything else, they will lift right up and cradle the belly of the lure, uh, keeping the weed interaction almost non-existent. I mean, I've put some on my own plugs myself and, and so on. And you're the one that's gotten me to say goodbye to the trail hook on most of my plugs. So I have no problem with the flat shad only having one belly hook. That, that sounds fine to me. However, many anglers have that, what I call hook insecurity. They love a lot of hooks because they are afraid of losing fish. But if you can't get back in the mess to get the fish to strike in the first place, then there's no fish to hook. So there's no need for all these hooks. The thing that turns me on about crankbaits in the mush is that, you know, all your plastics were like surged ahead and became super popular because they could get in this goop without coming out with stringers of the stuff on them. But now... We can bring the crank in there because we know sometimes a plastic, what, no matter how it's moving or what it's doing, there are times that we want that wiggle. We want that crankbait noise. We want that crankbait action. So you have a shallow diver that can just do its thing in the hydrilla, in the algae. Now you're not just restricted to plastic worms and things like that. That's the part that leaves me really excited. So I'm willing to sacrifice some hookups just to get the strikes in the first place, if you know what I mean. The DNS crank is the one I want to try around lotus pads and cattails. You know, Tim, those are the ones that are so tough. You know, you might as well hook the log because they ain't going to give you your lure back unless you got 20, 30 pound line. You can rip the whole thing right out by its roots. But anyway, what I, is tripping me out about this is the level of engineering to get that hook placed right and balanced so well and with the exact size it needs to ride in that perfect spot so there's just this tiniest gap between the butt end of the bait and the hook point i mean it's out of this world yeah it really is a pretty incredible design and uh, what impresses me john is 
if you can really have a crankbait that uses a single hook and you have the same number of hookups, that's pretty revolutionary. If we could do that with more baits. Now, the size of the bait and the shape is a lot. Maybe it's not going to work on a jerk bait as much, but I have used single hooks. And I, I know for saltwater fishing, I've used one treble and one single and you get hookups on that single. So it can work that way. You know, one, once again, Sabil's reputation is making these fabulous designs marketable. I think he has this right. And the, I think the hook will stay clean and also swing in place under the force of a take. What I'm eventually learning in my fishing life is that while these multi-hook baits do hold fish better sometimes, you know, in general, you're going to hook up, but they grab so many weeds and objects that the time spent unsnagging them or cleaning off weeds puts you at a disadvantage overall. And at least here in the Midwest, where I'm from, I think we could use these single hook cranks and probably do pretty well with it. Oh, true that. I mean, all successful fishers will tell you this most basic principle. Keep your bug in the water. So if you're having to fiddle with your lure because of weeds and such, rather than fishing it, you are definitely cutting your chances. And John, we also had the episode where we talked about people breaking crankbaits because they were slapping them on the water to get weeds off. I'd never heard of that, but think about you're not, if you don't have to slap the weeds off, you're not going to be breaking lures. So there's even that cost savings. Absolutely. And you're not going to be scaring fish and you're not going to be trashing your bathroom because you went in and tried to set a record of how many slaps it took to break the lure. So, I mean, your plumbing is safer. Your fish aren't spooked. I mean, you know, we're all about it, aren't we, bro? <laughs> John, one lure that I got in the juggernaut bass fishing case was a very innovative and weedless lure. It's made by 10,000 fish and it's called the headhunter. The color I got was licensed to gill, obviously a bluegill imitation. It's three and a quarter inches, a half ounce, beautiful rubber bluegill imitation. What makes it weedless is that it has a split dorsal fin. It's a realistic dorsal fin that disguises the bait's hook while preventing snags. But here's the big thing. We talked about magnets earlier. It also uses a magnet. And this is kind of incredible to me. The lure's magnetic hook harness system provides greater free range of motion when setting the hook while giving the fish less leverage to throw your bait. So the hook is held in place and in that split dorsal fin, but then it releases when you hook a fish and pops up. So that helps prevent fish from spitting the hook. The lure rests nose down on the bottom to mimic feeding bluegill or shad, and it makes the headhunter a great bed fishing option. The paddle tail has great action too. Oh man, it sounds fantastic. Have you fished it yet? I took it out to the test pond and it excelled. I caught three bass on it, each of which just inhaled it. The three and a quarter inch size is perfect because smaller bass can eat it, but it's large enough to attract lunkers too. And my test pond has a lot of leaves on the bottom, especially this time of year on one end. So I dragged the headhunter across the bottom to see if I could pick up leaves or other debris. The bait came out totally clean every time, but the hookups were effortless too. So the weedlessness was not getting in the way of hookups. And the split dorsal fin, that's been a great lure innovation for a while. We've seen that in other baits like the Z-Man Minnow Z and their diesel minnow. I really like it because your hook point is partially exposed, but it's still prevented from snagging. 
But it's an innovation that's only been possible with these new longer lasting plastics. I think we're going to see a lot more of the split dorsal fin designs as well as greater use of magnets in the future. And magnets is something when you think about these vintage lures, there was no magnet technology that people were using. So magnets are a whole new area, I think, that is really going to revolutionize lure design. Oh, I agree, Tim. This is really exciting stuff. I mean, we're going to be having this discussion again and again and again about the transition to more durable plastics, the use of magnets and so forth. I mean, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time indeed. I mean, Fisher is not going to give up on soft plastics. So we, we, you know, as far as this durability issue we're talking about, we're not going to give up on a soft plastic. So we want to make them as environmentally friendly as we can. And undoubtedly biodegradable baits from a sustainable non-polluting materials are the ultimate goal. However, in the meantime, improving durability is a quick, very marketable way to reduce lure loss in soft baits. I mean, when one can take their plastic consumption out on the water down 50 to 90 percent, that's a lot of mess that's not ending up in the water. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't still buy dozens, if not hundreds of plastic baits. I mean, I, I do. It's just that now you can treat them more like hard baits or wire baits and plan to use them over and over and over. So you buy them in smaller packages, you know, small, a fewer pieces. Maybe it's a four pack or a six or an eight pack instead of a 12 or 14 or 20 pack. And, you know, John, it just occurred to me that the more lures that are in a bag or on a card, the more expendable they seem, almost like it's just disposable. You're supposed to be losing them because they gave you so many. Every time I lose a Z-Man tail, it hits me hard because I know it still had a lot of use left in it. It's almost like losing a, a Rappler or something. But back when I used to fish those, you know, 36 Senkos for $7 and a, a huge bulk pack, these low-grade plastisol baits, you kind of expected a break off for that to fall off in the water, to come off the hook, not from a snag and changing worms with, you know, every fish or every couple of fish was kind of the norm. Cheap plastics seem like a good deal on the surface, but it's really kind of a false economy. Oh, it's so true. I mean, I know I fuss over my Z-Man bugs like nothing else. To me, they are in a category by themselves. It's a whole new world to have a six pack of Z-Man tails outlast a huge bag of cheapos. But bringing this back to design, this durability upgrade allows for all sorts of hook protection modifications and some of the most weedless lures of all time. I mean, it's a fishing thrill to defiantly throw a bait like a headhunter gill into a woody pile of brush or a labyrinth of weeds and have it come out easily every time and catch some fish because you and I both know the best way to protect your hook point from weeds is to lodge it in a fish's mouth. Absolutely. I went on Facebook and asked the Lore Love Legion what their favorite weedless lures are. Oh, wow. I want to hear this. What are some of their favorites, Lucy? Trent Marsh said his favorite is a Texas-rigged, Berkeley 4-inch purple power worm. Excellent choice. David Anthony Alonzo Scheibla also likes a Texas-rigged worm. A wacky rig with a weedless hook. Oh, you know David's doing it right. Rob Kruger likes skinning a hook in virtually any soft plastic. Skinning is when the hook point is just covered by plastic so it remains weedless, but still allows the hook to be set when a fish hits. Rock on, Rob. Jack Moran likes to fish weedless frogs. Always a good choice. And one listener suggested a pipe bomb. I searched online and found a marlin lure called a pipe bomb, but it doesn't appear to be weedless. Uh, Lucy, I think that was a joke. What they meant was if there are a lot of weeds... You could throw in a pipe bomb to blow up the fish and catch them. That would be both illegal and extremely dangerous. 
That's why I'm sure it was a joke. Thank you for clearing that up. Then I will assume the listener who suggested an M80 was not referring to the guide's secret M80 popper fishing lure, but rather the M80 explosive that was originally made in the mid-20th century for the United States military to simulate explosives and artillery fire. Yes, that would be another joke. You humans seem to enjoy jokes that include explosives. You know, I think... I found 452 explosion jokes on the internet. Joke number one. There was a gas line explosion at the cheese shop. Debris was everywhere. This is funny because brie is a type of cheese, and debris is what an explosion would cause. Joke number two. Does a T-Rex like explosions? I do not know, but another dino might. This contains humor because dino is short for dinosaur, and dynamite is an explosive. Lucy, the jokes are bad enough. You don't have to explain every one of them. Approximately 10 hours later. Joke number 452. I was involved in quite a bad explosion the other day. I was buying a grenade and the cashier said, Can I have your pin please? This is quite humorous because a pin is a number to access a credit card, and a pin is also the mechanism used to detonate a grenade. Oh, that was the longest 10 hours of my life. Oh, wait. I found 658 more explosion jokes. Quick, cut to the next segment. Cut to the next segment. John, here's a lure love quick tip. It's an amazing pan fish rig that both kids and adults will love to fish. What you do is you grab a Z-Man TRD Tickler Z soft bait. They're about three inches long and they have four tentacle legs at the bottom. Then you take a pair of sharp scissors or even a pair of nippers and you cut through the main body about a quarter inch from where the tentacles begin. Then cut the tentacle segment in two so you end up with two small baits, each of which has two tentacle legs on it. Then you grab a 116th ounce or 132nd ounce glasswater angling bismuth jig head. I like a number eight or a number 10 sickle hook. You tie on the jig and you thread the bait onto the hook. You put a small float about a foot above the jig. Finally, before your first cast, smear some Procure Crappy and Panfish Magic bait wax onto the bait. The bait wax comes in a container that looks kind of like a small deodorant stick, and it lasts for about 100 applications or more. This is a rig that will last all day because the Z-Man elastic plastic is almost indestructible, and it stretches like crazy. Then you just reapply the bait wax as needed. And you get ready for a fish fry. I was smoking the bluegill at the test pond with this rig. One thing I like about it is that with a small jig head and the floating elastic, the bait stays parallel to the surface, just like a real minnow or bug. And you can pop the float, which gets the attention of the bluegill. I was using a small yellow float. Sometimes these bluegill would actually come up and smash the float. But because the jig was only a foot underneath, they would then go down and they would get the jig. And you could let the wind blow it all over the water. Either way, it's fish on. Shake and bake, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you on this all the way because I took one of my favorite slim, swimsy paddle tails that was well used, and I broke it down into panfish-sized baits. See, I'd made this little swim head out of a cricket hook and a hematite bead, and I needed a cool tail for it, but everything I had was way too big. So I cut the Z-Man down. And then I got out some itty bitty number 10 jig heads, just like you. And I took the leftover scraps and I turned them into tiny bluegill baits. I'm calling them bluegill boogers. 
that and Z-Man can have that if they're <laughs> impressed with my literary skills. I will I will let you take that one on your first line of panfish plastic, Z-Man. You can thank me in your own way. I love it. Blue gold burgers. Really, John? This seems more like a transparent attempt to have an excuse to stick lures up your nose. Nah, I always use a white raisin for those sorts of jokes. See, you can pull it out and eat it, and then everybody screams. When you see my video screen scroll from white to black and back again, it means I am rolling my eyes. Whoa, that's cool. Here, Lucy, let me shake my head on your behalf. Ow, I just hurt my neck. Well, that's another episode of the Lure Love Podcast. It's in the can. In a can with the worms. Nope, in a can of icy cold Paps Blue Ribbon. I'll join you there, buddy. And don't forget to visit LureLovePodcast.com and subscribe to our free e-newsletter. And when you do, you're automatically entered into our monthly lure drawing to get a nice gift coupon to shop at GlassWaterAngling.com. Where you'll find the crappy dueler and other lead-free baits that will slay whatever type of fish you're going after. Slay and fillet, baby! And if you can't wait until you win, just visit the Glasswater website and take a look. I'll be waiting there to process your order. And always remember the lure love motto. Why buy one lure? When you can buy 103. Lure love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy?